Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and uh, welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. I'm James Peen and today we're talking to Nick Taylor, uh, Instagram handle of Wartime Images. And uh, you referred yourself as a World War II traveller and collector. So let's start there, shall we? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lifelong interest in World War II. And that really started when my dad came home one day when I was five years old and with a, with a World War II flying helmet. And it was never off my head. And, and I wanted something more. And I was pretending to be a pilot all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And then being brought up in Bomber County, um, Lincoln, not far from Waddington, RF Waddington, I used to watch the Vulcans fly over our house and fly over the school. I used to watch the Battle of Britain Memorial flight fly over, the Red Arrows, of course. And it really um, gave me a, a massive interest in, in the Royal Air Force. And I used to go to all the air shows in Lincolnshire, even the ones that have long gone. Um, the air show at Bimbrook, for example, and, and the one just outside Lincolnshire in Finningley and so many air shows, um, watching all those fantastic vintage aircraft and Cold War aircraft and it really got me hooked and I joined the Air Cadets with a view to joining the Royal Air Force and I did my full time in the Air Cadets really enjoying enjoying it and there were two main interests I had in in World War II and one was aeroplanes and another one was tanks. I know they're a far cry from each other but uh, they were my two interests as a kid growing up and when I realized at school that I wasn't going to have the qualifications to be air crew or anything sort of exciting in the Royal Air Force, I decided almost last minute to join the army and I joined a tank regiment at 16 and had a great time. I did three years service from 18, but it was great. I learned to drive chieftain tanks and I was stationed in Germany and, and everything like that, which is fantastic. And I'm glad I did that because I can imagine now if I had never joined the forces, how much I would regret it. Yeah. I came out of the army. I was 21. I needed a career. I got a career in the hotel trade. I worked my way up through Hilton, Holiday Inn. And through that career, really, um, it enabled me to fulfill my dreams of traveling the world's battlefields of World War II. And, and I really did. I went as far as Pearl Harbor in the West and to Stalingrad and up north to the Arctic Circle and everywhere and all over Europe. And I've been to so many battlefields and latterly in sort of the last five years, I've spent a lot of time in Russia on Russian battlefields and I've been to battlefields around Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg, Stalingrad, as I mentioned, and all around the battles around Stalingrad and on Moscow, um, looking well, the battle, the battle for Moscow and, and all those fantastic places. And so it's been a, my whole life really has been around studying and and just immersing myself in in World War Two. Then I so I've sort of semi-retired now, and but also during sort of the last twenty years, I've been amassing a huge collection of World War Two militaria and memorabilia, and uh, I've got quite a large collection. That it's amazing how fast it's grown, and collection from all sorts of theatres of World War Two and from particularly Russian um, memorabilia, military, and American and British, some British, not a lot of British, uh, German, um, Finnish, because uh, I've, I've been on the battlefields of Finland as well, 
So um, I'm a collector as well. And now I'm semi-retired, like I say, I'm, I'm going to start doing that a bit more, a bit more sort of buying and selling. And um, I'll have a bit more time on my hands to do that now. Probably more buying than selling, if you're like yeah. anyone else I know. Yes, yeah, that's true. It usually is. <laughs> what, so what sort of stuff do you actually collect? What, what's your sort of main interest? that you? Main interest is medals, um, combat medals um, is my biggest interest. But I do collect helmets. I love collecting helmets. It's, it's a fantastic topic. And I collect, uh, I've collected a lot of helmets as well. And other things like field equipment, um, bits of uniform, paperwork as well, a lot of documents. I find those fascinating, and particularly the Russian documents, because every Russian combat medal had a serial number on the back. And you can trace, trace back the owner of the medal and the history and where, how he won it and where he won it, where he was awarded it. And so collecting Russian military is really, really fascinating because you can really pinpoint the actual owner of, of, of the of the medal and, and its history. I was going to say, because that, when you see like a medal for sale somewhere, you know, to dealers or on eBay or something, you think, well, it's quite sad that it's lost its its history. But if you can actually trace yeah. back who's, right. who's had it and where it's been. That's right. It, it's just fascinating. It really is. Um, so... That really is is my main focus. Um, but if any, if I spot anything, I, I will, and it really interests me, then I'll, I'll buy it. Because you do have an awful lot on your Instagram of sort of pictures of you with tanks and you know yeah. a lot of Russian bits and pieces. So yeah, it's clearly yeah, I do. And my two real main passions, I would say, within World War Two, is the Eastern Front, which is absolutely, as you, as you probably know, it's an incredible. Incredible what happened, uh, and there's some incredible stories coming out of the Eastern Front. And Bomber Command, like I mentioned before, being brought up in Bomber County in Lincolnshire. So they're my two real interests. And that's why I volunteer at RF Metheringham, um, a wartime airfield in Lincolnshire. Yeah, obviously, that's kind of what got me started following you on Instagram, mm-hmm. because it was some of your images on, of Metheringham, and yeah. just how complete the, the actual place is. It's quite rare to see so much. It is. It's, it is one of the most intact wartime airfields in the, in, the, in the country. And when you look around the buildings, there's everything there. The domestic site's still there. That's where the visitor centre is, is located now. The technical site's still standing. The admin block, the admin site is still standing. One of the main runways is, is still there, and it's a public road. You can drive up and down it, and that's where the memorial sits. And a lot of the perimeter track is still there. There's many, many buildings from the technical site there to explore as well. The control tower has been restored by a private owner, and it's, it's looking fantastic. Even the bomb aimers building, where they practiced bomb aiming, is still standing, and it's a now a private business, but it's still there. And there's so much to see. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. And the airfield was built in 19... 19- well, it was opened in 1943, and 106 Squadron moved in there, and they had a week. They moved into this airfield that was in the middle of nowhere. In fact, there's a book written about it, and the book is entitled The Middle of Nowhere. And it was this fog-bound, bleak airfield that was opened. And 106 Squadron moved there in October 1943, and within a week, before hardly any building was built, they were on operations. And 106 Squadron, they moved over from Syaston, uh, where they, uh, where Guy Gibson was the commanding officer of 106 Squadron. And they came over to Metheringham in 1943, 
and they were the only squadron to serve in Metheringham from 43 till war's end. They lost 59 Lancasters, seven from Metheringham, and 288 crew. But 106 Squadron had a, you know, they served in Cottesmore, Finningley, Coningsby, then Syerston, and then to Metheringham, and they lost 123 Lancasters altogether, just short of a thousand aircrew. So and that's just one squadron, in and that's one squadron. Very squadron. Time. Yeah, yeah, incredible, absolutely incredible. And there's, you know, there's some fantastic bits of information as well. There's some fantastic bits of history of of Metheringham. For example, a VC was one. There was a flight engineer in 106 Squadron, Sergeant, his name was Sergeant Norman Jackson. And he had done, actually completed 30 missions. So he didn't need to do any more. He'd done his time. But one of his missions was with a different crew. So he chose to fly one more mission with his old crew so they could all finish the tour together. Anyway, they went off to, um, I can't remember where it was they flew to now. Oh, Schweinfurt. They flew off to Schweinfurt. Uh, it was in April 1944. And a German knight, um, a night fighter, attacked them. After they dropped the bombs, they were on the way home. A German night fighter came out of the night, came out of the darkness and, and attacked them. And the bullets ripped through the aircraft. And there were shell splinters everywhere. And Jackson was wounded by shell splinters. And then the, one of the uh, starboard engines burst into flames. And it was going to be curtains if they couldn't sort this out. So Jackson volunteered to climb out onto the wing of the aircraft and he strapped a parachute to his back and they sort of, the crew held the parachute, they took the, released the parachute, so the crew held the parachute and he walked along the wing as the crew were holding the parachute with a fire extinguisher and this plane was going 140 miles an hour at the time. But lo and behold, the uh, night fighter came back and started strafing again and um, two bullets went through Jackson's leg and the fire went out of control and badly, seriously burnt his hands and his face really badly. And he couldn't hold on anymore. And he fell off the, uh, the wing and the, his crewmates let the parachute go. And the parachute was actually on fire as it, as it went down, but not enough. It was just enough that he still managed to hit the ground okay. And he was, um, he was captured by the Germans and and spent the rest of his time in a prison camp, and he got the VC for that, and he actually survived that. So that was one story that really, you know, amazing story that came out of from R.F. Metheringham. If you actually put that into like a Hollywood film, you would say yeah. this is absolute this is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> climbing onto the window of Lancaster in the dark, you really and, and then being shot at again. You'd you think, really what would. Absolute tosh. But you would. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's many, many stories like that, and you know, we've got a lot of archives and. Over the years, we've collected stories from relatives and friends and, and of, of the air crew and people who served at RF Metheringham. So uh, the Metheringham's got a huge archive of a lot of stories. We actually have a Dakota in situ at the uh, visitor centre. And the reason there's a Dakota there is because during World War II, down the road from Metheringham, RF Metheringham, was the United States Army Hospital of Nocton, Nocton Hall. And Following the invasion of Normandy, there were had to casivac a lot of wounded American soldiers out of France, and they brought the Dakotas brought them to Nocton Hall, but they landed at Metheringham. So that's why we have this tribute to it's actually the 52nd Troop Carrier Wing of the United States Air Force, and so they flew in quite regularly into the airfield 
so the wounded could get transported to Nocturne. And also, once they were, were mended at the hospital, then they were taken to Dakotas at Metheringham and flown over to Scotland, ready for their trip back to the States. So the Dakota that we have, it was built in 1944, and one side has been restored as a medical Kazivak Dakota, so it's got the stretches all the way along the fuselage. And on the other side, it was its other role as a, a paratroop carrier. So we've got original paratroopers' seats in there, which are really quite rare. So when you go visit this Dakota, and all the visitors to the museum can actually go on board and actually sit in the cockpit, and there'll be a volunteer there who'll speak to all the visitors about its history. Uh, so it's a really fascinating thing to have for us to have on site at the airfield. And quite nice to have something that people can actually interact with and exactly. go on board. And- and see yeah. how cramped and horrible exactly. conditions were. I suppose. Yeah, it gives it a sense of realism once you're in one of those one of those planes. And another thing that um, that Mothering was well known for was it was a system called FIDO, and it was Fog Dispersal System, and it actually stands for Fog Investigation and Dispersal Operation. Now, there's only 15 airfields in the UK that had this FIDO system, and only four in Lincolnshire, and Mothering was one of them, and basically. The station was provided with three huge fuel tanks and six huge pumps, which were powered by Ford V8 engines and pumped petrol into burners, which ran along the runway. And now the petrol would ignite and burn away the fog. So aircraft coming into fog-bound Lincolnshire, or measuring particularly, which was prone for fog in the fens there, this system would burn away the fog and saved countless lives. And in fact, when other surrounding airfields, as far away as neighbouring counties, were fog-bound, they were diverted to Metheringham and the FIDO system was fired up. And when you go along the runway, uh, one of the runways, you can actually see the FIDO tracks. They're still there that cross the runway. So part of the tracks, which is pretty incredible as well. So I mean, it must, it must have been an absolute, I don't know, like a, I would say beacon of shining light, just to know that when you're coming back in the fog, that you are going to find your base and you're oh, going to yeah. get down again. Oh, yeah. Because so many bombers were lost to fog. So many. You know, they'd gone all that way over to Germany and managed to evade getting shot down and got back and then they ended up crashing. And indeed, there's two or three memorials, even with Fido, there's still two or three memorials in the countryside around the airfield where Lancaster's crashed and all the crew were killed. So yeah, there's a memorial near me for a Wellington crew that crashed on their way home from an operation, and it was December 24th. Oh, I just like wow. I know, it's it like sad, there's it? no good time to die, but just Christmas Eve as well. Oh, there's a whole yeah. Polish crew of a Wellington just gone in the dark. Ah, oh, it's so sad, and so many, so many aircraft were lost that way. Unfortunately, yeah, it's very sad. And I've spent most of my life visiting all these World War II fields. I've visited every single wartime airfield in Lincolnshire and North Yorkshire. And even the United States Air Force bases in East Anglia, Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire, all around there. And I go there, I photograph them. A lot of them have had restored buildings, restored control towers, and they've got museums. But some are just forgotten. And I like to seek out the buildings, take photographs, and just, you know, immerse myself in the atmosphere and the feeling. And, you know, it just evokes. You can almost hear. Merlin engines, it, and people do. I mean, it's it's a cliche that when you go on these old airfields, you can you can hear Merlins. And do you know sometimes you can? I was in an airfield, I was in North Yorkshire. It was called RAF Acaster Moldis, and 
It was derelict. And I was walking around there. And it gets a bit spooky when you walk around these airfields alone. And I could have sworn, as I was walking through, I could have sworn I had 1940s music coming from this old building. And I thought, well, that, that, that's what happens. Your imagination plays games with you, and that's fine. It's not, it's not 1940s music, but I, I could hear it. And then I went into this building. And when you're walking on these airfields, you think, oh, I hope I'm not trespassing. I hope someone's not going to, a farmer's going to come along and shout at me. But as I walked in this building, I heard two voices behind me whispering. I thought, oh, no, the farmers are here. And they were whispering. I thought, the farmers are they're going to say, what are you doing here? And I turned around, and there's no one there. But I distinctly heard whispering voices. And this happens quite a lot. And it happens a lot with a lot of airfield explorers. And whether there's anything in it or it's just our, our vivid imaginations. <laughs> Who knows? It's one of those things, if you choose to believe, then, you know. And yeah. I know that when I was a kid, one of the books, uh, the series of books I used to write was the Bruce Barrymore Halfpenny, I think his name was. He used to do the Ghost oh, yeah. Stations books. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they were really yeah. good. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's right. I remember those, yeah. Yeah, they were. They're... As you say, it's, there's so much history and there's so mm. much of a passion and emotion that must have ran through those guys oh, before they got yeah. on those aircraft. That if you can leave an imprint of yourself somewhere, then it's going to be there, isn't it? It's going to be there for sure. Yeah, so another little piece of information that a lot of people don't know is that following the Dambuster raid, the, the Dambuster aircraft that were used in that raid, they were modified aircraft that didn't have the um, middle of the turret taken off, etc., etc. They weren't needed after the Dambuster raid, so they put them in storage in one of the hangars in Metheringham. So the Dambuster Lancasters that survived the raid were actually stored on Metheringham airfield. And to think that, you know, they were there and maybe Guy Gibson's Lancaster was there and and at the end of the war, they were scrapped. And what a crying shame, you know. If only you have some sort of forethought to say, one day these things are going to be icons. But no. That's it. If you, yeah. just, if you just say one, if you just say guys, one. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, so, so yeah. Nice. But um, Medan was never bombed by the RAF, uh, by the Luftwaffe, sorry, not the RAF, the Luftwaffe. They... <laughs> They, um, but they had a habit of following bombers home and just as they were coming to land, they would strafe the aircraft as they were landing. And Again, a lot of aircraft were lost that way. I imagine the Fido system as well, that's going to be attracting like moths to a flame, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's surprising that they didn't, really. It's a pretty fantastic airfield and the history is incredible. I mean, how do you find gaining access to some of these old airfields? I mean, obviously, you're, you're not going there to do anything other than to experience them and, and take photos. Do you ever find anyone's trying to like clear you off because you're, no, you know, yeah, never. And if a farmer does come along and you say who you are and what you're doing, they can be um, quite accommodating. I remember I went to RAF Woodall and I sort of walked through the gates and I was going there along the airfield and there was a golf club there and I thought, I don't think I should be here, but I know there's an airfield beyond. And the steward came out and said, um, you know, can I help you? What, what are you up to? I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just interested in this airfield and, I'm, you know, I would like to take a couple of photographs. And he said, no problem. And he went and got a golf buggy and I got in the golf buggy and he took me around the whole airfield and, and pointing out places of interest and everything. So, you know, it, it, it's, uh, that can be really helpful, really helpful. And, and the thing is with these places, when they're gone, they're gone. And they are just, yeah. there's not a lot left now either. No, it's, 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 you know, nature has taken its... Yeah, more and more, you know, there have been, there's been some airfields that, you know, the last remaining buildings have just gone, and it's now housing. And, you know, some of the ones I've photographed have already gone, and more will go. It, you know, it's, 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 it's a shame, really. So, 
uh, talk a bit more about what you do at Metherin. So, uh, what would you sort of do in terms of volunteer work? Well, what I, my uh, main role is I look after the Metherin Instagram account. And we are opening again on Saturday, which is great news. And I'm going to be a tour guide, volunteer tour guide. So I'm going to be showing people around, answering questions, hopefully, and just imparting my knowledge and my enthusiasm on what happened at Metheringham. So that's going to be my job, and I'm really looking forward to it. Do you have to pre-book, or do you just turn up on the day? Yeah, you can turn up on the day. You can pre-book through our website. I think you can just turn up on the day. There's always somebody there who's going to welcome you. And we're only going to be open on Saturdays and Sundays at the moment, so it's the weekends is the best time to go. There are some areas, like I was mentioning before, about the admin blocks and things like that that are still on private land. But we have this most fantastic model map, a huge model map, which lights up when you press a part of the airfield. And it's great to put where they are in perspective and show them the actual wartime airfield where everything was. And the main exhibits are in the wartime gymnasium and the wartime stores. That's all very wartime. Those buildings are still intact and they're now housing all our exhibits. So, yeah, we've got some new exhibits for 2021 when we open. And we've got a ditching display this time. And we've got a World War II dinghy when the Lancaster bomber had to ditch in the sea. We've managed to get a World War II dinghy. So we've done a little diorama around that with some ditching artifacts and things like that. So, so we're looking forward to showing that to our visitors. And a Commonwealth Comrades exhibition, which is new to us as well. So many nations served with Bomber Command, so many nations. So this is a tribute to everybody, all those nations that served during World War Two in Bomber Command. Well, that's it. With Bomber Command, it was such a multinational effort, wasn't it? Oh, it, was it was. People from all corners of the globe coming Absolutely. together Absolutely. to form air crew. Absolutely. And it was always fascinates me how they uh, formed the crews, which was great. I mean, when I read books that ex-Bomber Command crew have written, it always fascinates me the way that they crewed up when they were just put into a big room, a big hangar. And sort it out. And sort yeah. it out. And they all did. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was incredible. I didn't know. I was always picked last of PE. So I kind of want to be in that sort of, sort of situation. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. But yeah, I do I show a lot of my photographs on, on my travels, on my Instagram pages. I've got quite a lot of followers on my wartime images. You know, so 30. Yeah, you, you have a lot of followers, and, and uh, yeah, that's not not surprising. Just the still sort of the breadth of content that you put up is is, is yeah. fascinating for anyone interested in World War Two. Yeah, it's, say it's airplanes, it's tanks, it's yeah, you know, yeah, and different, different theaters. Yeah, and you've probably met quite a few people. I have. I've got a. I've met a lot of people. I've met a lot of veterans um, in my travels, and a lot of people who have who had serving relatives in Bomber Command. And they're just fascinating to talk to. Really, really fascinating. I, w- I went into a museum on the Norfolk Lincolnshire border. And there was a, a rear gunner. There's an old guy there, and he was chatting away. And he said, "You know, I collected a lot of this stuff, and blah blah blah." And he was chatting away, and and he, I found out that he was a rear gunner on Lancaster, uh, on the Halifax bomber. I beg your pardon. And the Halifax was shot. It burst into flames. The whole aircraft was in flames. He said he saw his crew burning. And and you know screaming in pain, and he managed to get out, get out of the, um, the rear turret, and he was the only survivor. And he actually watched it go down and crash. And uh, he's taken prisoner, and I think it stuck with him as well. But it would do. 
Yeah, and you think about it as well, it was a very small period of their life where they yes. fitted a lot in of intense memories and yeah. their experiences and emotions. And then yeah. they went and lived a, a normal life. And, and lived a normal life. This job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's the age as well that always um, is amazing. You know, they're all early 20s. And when you sort of see these graves and memorials and, and they list the, the crew and their age, it's, it's quite, it really is sad. You think about how old was Guy Gibson when he was a wing commander leading the dams raid? He wasn't. 23 or 24. 24. Yeah. Could you imagine what you were doing? Well, you were obviously <laughs> military at 24. But wow. For me at that age, it just doesn't bear thinking I about. know. I know. It is incredible. And they were brave boys. Yeah, and I'll do, you know, myself and thousands of others, you know, we, we volunteer in these uh, museums because of what they did. It's, Simple as that. Exactly. It's the perfect way to keep it alive. Yeah. Keep, yeah. keep it alive for another generation. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't, then who will? Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good place to leave it. Do you want to be? I mean, do you want to give a little plug to, to the, the website and to your Instagram page as well? Yeah. Um, my Instagram page is wartime underscore images. And that is my full World War Two page. Um, the Metheringham Instagram is Metheringham Airfield VC. Um, so have a look at both those Instagram pages. There's some, some great information. I don't just put photographs on. I uh, always put a little bit of a story and as much as I can, some fascinating information as well. It's, it's, it is a learning. You know, I like to think I'm educating people on there. Yeah, so please have a look at those. Go, go on board. And we open on Saturday. We open this Saturday coming. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Everything's ready to go. We'd love to welcome you. We'd love to see you all, and you won't be disappointed. I can I can assure you. Well, I will definitely make the uh, the pilgrimage to Metherham at some point. Um, and I'll, yeah, you've got so much stuff that I, I want to see. It. And that'd be great. In the meantime, I just keep up to date with what you're doing on Instagram. So uh, please do. Just leave it there. And I think thanks very much, Nick. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you. Bye bye. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.